Joni for reading that scripture for us, and I'd invite you all to flip over now to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. There's a story told of a time during the Persian Empire, during the reign of Emperor Cyrus. The Persian Empire had captured a uh, an enemy general, and actually brought his whole entire family uh, for execution. And the emperor asked the general uh, what he would do if he spared his life. And the general responded with, well, I would, I would return home and remain an obedient servant to you the rest of my life. The emperor responded, uh, excuse me, then the emperor then asked him what he would do if he spared the life of his wife. And the general responded with, I would die for you. And Cyrus, so moved by this great love that the general had for his wife, he released them all and set them free to return to their homeland. And on the return trip, the general is just reminiscing about the trip with his wife. And he's saying things like, did you notice, did you notice the marble at the entrance to the palace? Did you notice the tapestry on the wall as, it went, you know, as we went through the corridor into the throne room? Did you notice that throne of gold that the emperor was sitting on? And his wife could sort of appreciate his excitement and how impressed he was with it all. But his wife looked seriously into his eyes and said, I really did not notice much of any of it. Because all I could behold was the face of the man who was willing to die for me. Right? She said, I could only behold the face of the one who was willing to die for me. And church, this is our prayer for us tonight, right? That even in the midst of, a, of life in a world that is full of great sufferings, that is full of great distractions all around us, that tonight we would simply only be able to behold the face of the one who is willing to die for us. And let's pray and ask for the Lord's help as we look at his word. Father, this is your word. Lord, and we have a lot of emotion stirring in us just as we've heard the account of your arrest and crucifixion. Of how you suffered, Lord. How you endured people mocking you and spitting you at you and beating you and, and eventually killing you, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would teach us through your word tonight the significance of your cross. What motivated you to endure it? And what you have purchased for us. Oh Lord, please help give light to your word tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to preach a couple of verses in Romans 5 this morning. As we're, not this morning, tonight. I wondered at what point that would happen. I thought maybe at the beginning, but right now it seemed to happen. All right. 
We're going to keep preaching through Romans 5 as we have been on Sunday mornings, but I wanted us to to hear that narrative of Jesus' time in Gethsemane and and his his arrest and his his eventual death on the cross, and that really sets the table now for us to understand and appreciate a little bit more about what Paul is writing to the Romans in Romans 5. Uh, This past Sunday, we learned about all the things that come to us through this gift of justification that we have received. Through us being declared right with God through faith in Jesus, right? That's justification, being declared right with God through faith in Jesus. And, uh, and one of those things we, we learned that we received in this gift box of justification is that now how we relate to suffering has changed. For we can now rejoice in our sufferings, right? We learn that we know that God works through suffering to prepare us for our glorious future. And he works in suffering to produce in us some wonderful things as well. And we learn that what motivates us and what fuels us to be able to rejoice in sufferings is the fact that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That was the start of Romans 5, right? What enables us, what fuels us to be able to rejoice in sufferings is God's love for us that is right now being poured into our hearts. But here now in Romans, we see that this is, this is not only, this is not, not only is God's love being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that assures us of God's love for us, but he says that's, that's not all. He says here now, no, look to the cross. Look to the cross if you want to understand and be assured of God's love for you. Not only is the Holy Spirit a gift to you that's pouring in God's love for you, but now he says, look to the cross. And you see, we are able to rejoice in our sufferings as we fix our eyes on a suffering Savior, Jesus Christ, who endured great suffering for us. And oh, church, his death on the cross accomplished some great things. He appeased the wrath of God that was rightfully being stored up for us in our sin. His sacrifice provided a way for us to be purified and cleansed and forgiven of all our sin. His death redeemed us from our slavery to sin. No longer are we under its control and hold. And on the cross, he truly was the warrior of Golgotha, the promised seed of the woman who accomplished a cosmic victory over sin and death, and he delivered a decisive blow to the serpent's head. He's accomplished some great things on the cross, church. But tonight, we need to also see his motivation for going to the cross. For it is in seeing his great love on display that will stir up in us a great love for him. If your love for God has grown cold, if your love for God feels stagnant, I believe the Spirit can fan into flame and can stir up our hearts a greater love for God as we sit and behold the love of God on display at the cross. Look with me now at Romans 5, 
verse 6. God's Word says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice what God says our condition was when Jesus died for us. Because it's important to note that he didn't die for the lovable and deserving. No, we are described in this passage as weak, as ungodly. Verse 8 says as sinners, and in verse 10 as enemies. This is who Christ died for. He died for the weak. He died for the ungodly. He died for sinners. And he died for his enemies. That sense of unworthiness that you have before God. I think all of us at some point, we've, we've felt that sense of unworthiness before God. Listen, that's... That feeling is a correct feeling to have. But we shouldn't stay living with that sense of unworthiness forever. For we do have great worth. We were created as image bearers of God. We have great dignity and value and worth before God. But because of sin, because we have turned away from God, we have become unworthy to live in the presence of our great and holy God. And so that sense of unworthiness is actually God's grace for us, and it should lead us here tonight to the foot of the cross. That's where your sense of unworthiness was meant to lead you. It was meant to lead you to the foot of the cross. Right? God's Word says here that we were weak. We were weak. This means that we lacked any real or meaningful spiritual strength. We weren't strong enough to keep God's law. We weren't strong enough to make ourselves right with Him. We weren't strong enough to prove ourselves worthy. We weren't strong enough to save ourselves. We were weak. We were helpless. Essentially, when he's describing us as weak, he's getting at our inability and our own strength to obey God and to love God. We couldn't do it in our own strength. We couldn't redeem ourselves from slavery to sin. We weren't strong enough. We weren't powerful enough. But at just the right time, Christ died for the weak. You see, God did not wait for us to get our act together before he died for us. He did not wait for us to prove ourselves to him before he died for us. He did not wait for us to show a little bit of interest and then he intervened. No, God back in Genesis 3 promised to one day send the one who would crush the head of the enemy. And when the fullness of time had come, God then sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law at just the right time. While we were still weak, Christ came 
and died for us. Christ died for the weak and the ungodly. Ungodly describes people who are living with no regard for God. Living an ungodly life is the, essentially the opposite of living with a fear of the Lord. Right? We had no respect for God. We paid Him no regard. In fact, we wanted to be God. Humanity, ever since the garden, has wanted to decide what was good and what was evil for ourselves. This is not a new thing. We saw the fruit on the tree, and it seemed good to us. So we took it and ate it with no regard for what God had said. We were weak. We were ungodly. And before we moved towards God, at just the right time, God came and died for us. Church, our unworthiness, it's a... It's a right feeling, but it's that sense of unworthiness that was meant to lead us to the foot of the cross and to behold the one who loves us and was willing to die for us. But what kind of love is this? This is, this is not a normal love that we are accustomed to. To love the weak and the ungodly. To love ones, really, who deserved condemnation and wrath. This isn't what we know of as normal love in this world. And that's what we see here in Romans 5, verse 7. Paul says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Right? Sure, there are great stories of heroic acts of people dying for others. Even right at the start of the sermon, right? A general being willing to die for his wife. What a great heroic thing. But you see, in so many of these stories we know of, it is someone dying for someone else that they deem worthy of dying for. And so think about it for a second. Who would you be willing to die for? We probably all have some people we'd be willing to die for. Who would you be willing to die for? You'd probably be willing to die for maybe one of the children in here. You'd probably be willing to die for a son. But would you be willing to die for your enemy? Would you be willing to die for people who murdered your son? Would you be willing to die for the, the worst of the worst that you can think of in your mind, the worst enemy that's ever you've ever encountered in your life? Would you be willing to die for them? You see, we can get our minds around dying for someone we think is worthy of dying for, but what about dying for the unworthy? Dying for an enemy? And that is a completely different type of love altogether. That is a holy, other than love that we see displayed on the cross. Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. But God, the two most glorious words in the Bible, but God, we were unworthy. We were weak. We were ungodly. We were sinners. But God shows his love for us. Now, to show his love, that means, that means this is how he demonstrated his love. This is how he put his love on display. Essentially, this is how he has proven his love to you. Right? Just in case the love of God that he has for you, that's been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit, in case that wasn't enough for you, in case that was too kind of subjective and, you know, uh, too many feelings and, and stuff like that, in case that's not enough, he says, come to the foot of the cross and let me put my love on display for you. Let me prove my love for you. And this is how God shows his love for us. He shows his love for us. This is written in the present tense, meaning that, yes, this was a, this was a past event that happened roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus dying on the cross, but he is still presently showing us and proving to us about his, his great and holy and infinite and uninfluenced love for us by bringing us to the foot of the cross and putting his love on display for us. He is still presently showing us his love through his sacrifice on the cross. And, oh, church, we must believe this. We must come to the foot of the cross and behold the face of the one who died for us, us who were weak, us who were ungodly, us who were sinners, us who were enemies of his. And I'm not sure that we're always captivated and compelled and controlled by the love of God? Could it be that we love God and others so little because we are not regularly captivated by God's love for us? 1 John four nineteen says, We love because he first loved us. If you want to love God and others, you must first receive and believe that God loves you. And listen, God's love for you is, an, is, is uninfluenced by you. There was nothing good in you that stirred him to send his son to die for you. There were no good works that he foreknew you would do that impressed him to make him start loving you. And church, this is important because if you have done nothing to cause God to start loving you, then there is nothing you could do to cause him to stop loving you. His love is holy. His love is uninfluenced by us. Paul says when writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.9, he says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 
We were unworthy. We were weak. We were ungodly. We were a sinner in need of a Savior. And if you believe that, you are who God proved his love to by offering himself up on the cross. You see, if you're having a difficult time seeing the greatness of God's love for you, as you grow in an understanding of your weakness and your unworthiness, and as you grow in an understanding of of Christ's great sacrifice for you, then you will see and come to understand and enjoy a greater and greater reality of just how great God's love is towards us. Our sin was so bad that it required God himself to come and offer a sacrifice for us. The sacrifice had to be human because humanity stood guilty in God's courtroom. And the sacrifice had to be God because the sacrifice had to be sinless and spotless. And therefore, Jesus Christ was the only and perfect sacrifice, fully God and fully man. He came and he willingly offered himself up in our place. Christ died for us. The cross and the wrath of God was poured out on him. The death that Jesus endured, it was meant for us. Church, your sense of unworthiness and sinfulness has led you to the right place, to the foot of the cross. But you can leave those things there tonight. Because God, at just the right time, left the throne room of heaven, traveled a road of suffering and affliction to take the penalty that was meant for us, to redeem us from the power that sin had over us, to forgive us and take away our sins forever. God's love has been put on display, and now for those who receive him by faith as their Savior and Lord, he's taken all your unworthiness and sin, he has nailed it to the cross, and he has taken it to the grave. See what God has done for you. For those who are in Christ, although you were weak, in Christ you are now strong. Although you were ungodly, in Christ you now fear the Lord. Although you were a sinner, in Christ you are now a saint. Although you were an enemy, in Christ you are now a friend. Although you were unworthy and unlovable, in Christ you are perfectly and infinitely loved. Come behold the love of God on display. Come behold tonight the face of the one who died for you. Does his love for you not stir up in you a greater love for him? Does his sacrifice not leave you desiring to sacrifice all for him? But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, 
Christ died for us. Let's pray.